Welcome everybody to the fourth episode of Streaming Talks. I appreciate you guys listening to our previous episodes. And if you haven't already, make sure to follow our Twitter at twitter.com slash streaming talks for more updates and progress. And also announcements on who our next guest will be. In this episode, our guest is Washand. And also, just to let you know, uh, when we recorded this uh, in typical Shan fashion, uh, something went wrong and uh, we had to use the Discord recording for him. So uh, there was a little bit of audio issues with this interview, um, but we did our best to put it all together for you. He is a partnered streamer. He's a musician. And also, he's been on Twitch for about eight years. So without further ado, please welcome my guest at this time was Shand. Shand, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, good. And I'm on an even keel today. <laughs> what does even keel even mean? I don't know. I, I feel like at my age, all the days start blending together. There's not really good days and there's not really bad days. It's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, a de- it's a decent day, you know? It's I feel I feel even. I'm I'm not uh I'm not all shaky or something. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, like anymore, like days just kinda blend together. I mean, it's just all it, one week feels like I don't know, a day almost. <laughs> I, I often forget what day of the week it is. I think part of it is just streaming full time. You <laughs> everything just is like there's work and there's work and there's things you're doing and I'm so caught up in the things that I'm doing that the outside world stops existing and don't leave my house very often and uh yeah it's it's all just one giant blob now yeah i totally yeah i totally agree with you um we uh kind of know each other for a little bit now um i think i followed you uh actually i watched your streams when i was in college and um it was uh back when you would stream like 11 est to like 2 a.m est does that sound about right? Oh, man. I might have gone later. I, I don't think it was until the last two years that I had a schedule even. But uh, I, I used to stream until like 5 or 6 in the morning until like the <laughs> light would come up uh, where I live. Yeah. And you played a lot of, uh, you know, the visual novels. Um. <laughs> That's what we're going to start with, the visual novels. Yeah. <laughs> I have dabbled in visual novels. That could be said. <laughs> I uh I used to watch you and uh I didn't follow you for a while um until like I, I started watching you in college. I actually seen your name in other channels when I started streaming, like in 2015, 2016 actually. And I kept seeing your name. Um actually, you know who introduced me to you? Uh maybe you remember this person and not uh, um, remember them or not. The Living Daylights. Is that a familiar name to you? Oh uh, yeah, I do remember them. Are you around still occasionally? Maybe not. Yeah, he just started streaming again with a new name. But um, he uh, he uh, raided you one time, and it's like, yeah, he's Canadian. He's a good dude, you know. And you go in there, and I used to after that's lies. <laughs> and that's where I first saw you. But I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Visual novel is not my thing. And then I started catching you at night, and I was like, okay. And then um, I think I raided you one time. Uh, maybe it was like an evening or something. And that's maybe when you followed me, I think, I don't know, but, uh, 
I didn't, you know, I didn't really know if you followed me or not. I was like, okay. Then like two years pass and then, you know, the raid happened. Um, and what I mean by the raid, you're actually the reason I even played Battletoads. Your chat is the reason why. <laughs> I don't know if I should apologize or not for that. It's okay. It was only 44 days. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you, how long have you been streaming for, uh, Shant? Uh, I've been streaming since uh, 2012. Wow. 2012. So almost eight years, coming up on eight years now. Uh, how does that make you feel? <laughs> it doesn't feel like eight years. It doesn't feel like that long at all. It, it feels weird to kind of put put it in like like the, the idea that I've almost been doing it for a decade seems really alien to me because it still feels new and um, it doesn't. It, it's weird that it would like lay claim to so much of my life already. Right. And uh, so because you've done so much, so much, it feels like, you know, it's just a part of your life now. Right. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I don't look back too often. Like I'm always kind of looking forward to the next thing. So I haven't I've really haven't taken too much time to to think backwards on uh streaming as a, a career or like all all the things that have happened to me along the way uh so much well today's a new day for you shan because we're gonna go back and look to the past a little bit so i'm gonna ask you something i usually ask everybody do you remember the first time that you've done anything video wise whether it was editing whether it was doing something for twitch um, did you do anything before streaming? Uh, when I was like, well, video wise, if we're going all the way back, then when I was like, God, maybe like nine or 10 years old, I would take my parents camcorder into the forest and film little videos. You, you, like, you, you know, where you film a video and you edit it in the camera by reversing the tape and then recording over it until you have like a complete little segment with cuts. So uh, I started doing that way back when with my friends, just filming like little stupid skits or whatever we could think of uh, all the way back. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a lot different. I mean, it's so it's so easy now compared to like, you know, recording the tapes and having even like the mini tapes even, you know. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. They had the little adapter and you put it in the VCR, right? Oh, not... Not even that, like literally right. just like you're out there with the camera and uh, you do like a bad take. So, okay, reverse the tape. Okay, it's in about the right position. Hit the record button again and go at it until it works. <laughs> in camera editing. What, uh, so, you know, you've been filming for a while. When did you, uh, how did that make you feel filming? I don't know. I actually don't know why I did it or why I started it. I guess it was just something like the, the camera was there. Um, I wanted to make something and it was, it was easy and fun to do. I, I can't actually remember when I was a kid, what was the first impulse that kind of drove me towards wanting to do it at all. Just that I did it. <laughs> Just that it was, it was, I guess I had the technology and I had some of the know-how, um, because I don't even really remember emulating anything. It wasn't like I was trying to copy movies or or make anything big. It was just kind of like, uh, I guess, a fun way to, to kill time and and have something afterwards, some memory of it. So you said you, you kind of kept it. It was kind of a memory to you. 
Um, looking back at it now, is uh, how different is it for people to film stuff when you were a kid versus how people approach filming now? As far as like having a convenience of a cell phone. I mean, I think it's totally different. I think kids nowadays, of course, it's it's a completely different world in terms of being able to share what you're creating and having access to people that you're that uh, are your own age who are also creating things to kind of bounce off of and interact with, um, you know, YouTube and everything like that. Uh, it was it was it was a lot different when it's just like uh, isolated kid recording things and then maybe showing it awkwardly to relatives versus kid recording things and then posting it onto the internet where almost anybody can see it and interact with it which once i think almost everybody um uh, of my age is i think we're, a lot of us are very happy that we didn't have access to the internet when we were younger that these creations aren't lingering out there somewhere still uh waiting to haunt us yeah, I can agree. I mean, I I mean, I grew up without the internet too, believe it or not. Um, and uh, we, it, it's different. Uh, not everything was available to us. So, um, you know, to kind of move forward a little bit. Uh, so you started filming. Did anything become about it? Like as you, you know, went to school, uh, like high school or anything like that. Did you end up filming more? Become interested in filming? Did you try to pursue anything? Uh, yeah, uh, actually, um, I, my high school had like a, a, what's called a media arts program. So there was a, a whole class you could take that was just dedicated to learning video production and like how to film movies and make good shots and do editing. And uh, I spent quite a bit of time there and then eventually went to college for a year for cinematography which was useless, but then I, I tried, I actually tried my hand at the film industry for about five years, which kind of overlapped into my streaming career. So I, I, had a, I had a fairly serious go at, uh, at working in the legit business, but it really, it's, uh, it wasn't for me. Did you, uh, grab any PA jobs or production assistant jobs or anything like that? Oh yeah. I did some PAing um, on some bigger shoots, uh, like, I think Smallville, the TV show, I did some PAing on that. I, I hated it. PAing is, for anyone out there who's thinking about getting into the film industry, PAing sucks. It's like, I think I watched a truck for 14 hours. That's what I did. Like, hey, sit here, watch this truck, make sure nobody touches it. We'll, we'll be back in 14 hours. And no pay. <laughs> I think it was like $11 an hour or something. And no smartphones back then. I think I had a book or something. <laughs> but yeah. but I also did uh, some editing. Like um, I edited a few feature films and did. Uh, I was a cinematographer on a feature as well. Uh, so I kind of I kind of did some indie movies as well, where I got to have some of the more creative positions, and and uh, eh, that was also kind of. Uh, it wasn't a ton of fun, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I was in the same way. I went to school for uh, for film production, and uh, we I didn't realize going into the school it was all documentary based. So a lot of the times they would at first make these really boring cuts of these films. I'm like, you guys are not taking any chances. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I think documentary is uh, definitely a genre where people usually don't take chances at all. Yeah, and uh, it's, it can be tough because you know it's usually informational, but you can still make people feel emotion, even if it's something just, you know, a talking head for 80% of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. So um, you went to you did some PAing and you you done some really cool stuff. I had no idea that you went for cinematography. What was that like? Uh, learning how to um, compose shots and set scenes and try to help the director, you know, make their vision come to life. It was okay. <laughs> I think I think at that point in my life, I was very much on autopilot. I was like, okay, I'm into film. What's the next thing I can do? Cinematography. <laughs> Here's a year at college, and if I do this year at college, somehow this will turn into a film career, which is which is not how the film industry works at all. And uh, I actually wound up doing a lot more editing. I became an editor on a lot of features, and that that was kind of my specialty because cinematography, you got to interact with people, <laughs> you got to tell them what to do, you gotta you gotta you gotta be um, I don't know. You always gotta be on point on the film sets you gotta work long days on the film sets and and be creative and think how to light things and fulfill other people's needs and that's 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 exhausting it's only certain people can do that uh when it came to editing did you like the storytelling process and the creativity is that what drew you to it uh i think i think once again it was just it was something that i knew well i was familiar with editing software i'd been using you know different editing software since i was 12 years old um and obviously learning it in high school and then perfecting it in college uh and it was kind of more just like uh i was 18 years old and <laughs> this guy's like hey do you want to edit my feature movie i'm like yeah sure let's do it <laughs> so uh, you you started editing. You started doing that kind of stuff. Uh, do you remember the first video you put online was? Uh, yeah. Well, a long time ago, there used to be. Well, there still is this the something awful forum, which was a lot. It was a, it was a much bigger presence on the internet. So the the something something awful dot com something awful forums. It was uh it was it was like a kind of a major generator of content on the internet for for its time for a while. Uh, this this forum and uh, they actually kind of kicked off uh, what was called at the time Let's Plays, uh, which was basically like a precursor to uh, you know YouTube videos of people playing games with commentary. So people would actually post on the forums like screenshots of the games that they were playing with text. And that would be the let's play of the game would be like uh, images and text describing what was happening in the game and you would read it. And that was um, and then that eventually led into video with commentary over top of it. And I think this is back in when was Google video around? Oh, this is back in the days of like Google video when YouTube was just emerging like. so so I was on there a whole ton and I never made any of the like picture text let's plays but I made some uh Google video let's plays way back when um where it was just me 
uh, maybe with some light editing, but mostly a full playthrough of a game with commentary over top of it. Uh, and those are all gone now, sadly. I kind of wish I had any of them, but Google Video doesn't exist anymore, so they kind of disappeared with that. Yeah, Google uh, Video, uh, that's 2005 we're talking. And what was it like uh, recording those things? I mean, it's a lot different uh, now than it was then. What was the process like? Well, I was I was really lucky because in those days, a lot of people would just... Uh, literally point a camera at their screen but uh, for whatever reason i had a capture card which in 2005 was the dazzle yeah the da the dazzle yeah you know the exact one <laughs> yep. it was dazzle. uh so i was able to capture actual game play footage just directly i don't know it was it was just something really cool and new at the time and i was really into the community and participating in it and it was it was neat to get to make something that was wholly my own and I had total control over it and putting it out there. And once again, this is like before YouTube and, and people were putting out videos or just at the very beginning of it. So the idea of like a content creator wasn't really formed on the internet uh, very much. Maybe there was like bloggers or something. Uh, but especially coming out of the film industry where I was editing a lot of other people's movies or working on them and Often I had uh, huge disagreements with how they ran things and their movies kind of sucked or really sucked or just they're, they're really bad. Uh, but this was something where I had all the responsibility was on me to create it. And it was like nobody really knew what they were doing back then at all. Like this was like, like I, I really mean like the, a major portion of Let's Plays on Something Awful just screenshots and text and people would experience other people playing video games by reading threads of their with updates uh you know like daily updates of them posting about them playing like their their playthroughs of some old retro game or some obscure title so uh it was really cool to to have the technology with the dazzle uh to get to record video and just try to talk over it and make it entertaining. I'm sure it was terrible now, but uh, uh, I just, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. It was new. Yeah. And those dazzles were expensive. They're like, what, 80 bucks or something? I think it was $200 back 200. in the day. Yeah. Those were, those things were super expensive. They were AV only too, um, because that was, you know, that, that was the standard. Uh, yeah, for a while I think it had RCA and S video. This is like mm. way before HDMI. Yeah, <laughs> greater right on there. Like HDMI wasn't really super common to record. It was to maybe plug in your TV at some point, but no. The 2005, 2006, you're recording AV for the most part. Um, so you started doing these videos, uh, in at in these days, it wasn't for money, was it? Oh no, no, of course not. Yeah, like. It was really just for that selective, uh, something awful community. You never really thought about them uh, getting bigger or going outside of that. And of course, it didn't at the time. I didn't. I, I think about it now. If I had committed into it and thought like, "Oh, there's a future in this," I might have a very different career now. I might have been one of the the early starters on YouTube making video game content. But for whatever reason, at the time, I kind of created things for that community and then 
uh, just I kind of just eventually lost interest. You know, there was there's only so far you could go, you know, with uh, a community of maybe like a thousand people or something uh, making content for them. You know, looking back at it, uh, was it worth it uh, the time of doing it? Oh, oh yeah, massively. I had, I had so much fun doing it, and it was really like the first step towards creating content online. But it's it's weird, I guess, the mindset that I would have now looking at it versus back then, uh, because it wasn't. It once again, it wasn't really like I didn't really think about the final product of what I was creating very much. I just kind of did things because it felt good to make something i didn't really have to think about like the impact it would have or i people were you know it, once again it was so new that you weren't really sure what the impact would be no matter what by releasing it like uh, once again like these playthroughs are it's like an hour and a half long video of like me beating one boss in shadow of the colossus would be like one of these like one part of this video so the audience for something like this is so much more selective and it's was so much more primitive than anything you would see on YouTube now. So it was it was really just kind of like it just it felt cool to make things. It wasn't it wasn't guided in any way towards like this is a product that has to 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 be sold to people. It's more just like, hey, what is this little community going to find cool? And that's it. Yeah. And uh also, you got to think about it this way, social media wasn't blowing up at the time. It was just little forums and, you know, it was really, really an infancy, all this stuff. Um, and I think that makes a difference uh, now that compared to then, right? Oh, the internet was totally different back then. I mean, now we have so many hubs that we go to to consume content. There's so many major websites that are aggregators of content. And I'm sure that existed back then. Um uh, but not in the same way. There weren't these, it wasn't like there's Facebook and Facebook has like a bunch of the content re-aggregated into it and Twitter and you can get a lot of the content from other websites into Twitter and YouTube. Uh, there, it was, the internet felt like it was a lot more spaced out. Like there's all these like little uh, secret hidden sections and different little websites you'd visit for unique things. The, the game Hypnospace Outlaw really uh and captures that really well this idea like there's just little guys out there making their websites and updating them and that's what you'd interact with uh but it was it was totally different everything felt much more isolated on the internet than it is now you don't you're not you weren't able to reach audiences that were massive back then like sure they were a lot bigger than you could reach just by opening your window and yelling out of it but uh, you know, you'd be on one website and that would have an audience maybe like something awful was really big, but they probably had like tens of thousands of people like that were active users of their forum. And that was that was considered to be a pretty like major website in terms of like, you know, Internet people back then. So it was just it was uh, a lot of small pawns instead of you know, a few really big ones. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, when even going forward a little bit, you know, like uh, one of the biggest examples, uh, the angry video game nerd, he kind of just recorded stuff like his, you know, uh, angry game reviews or whatever. And then, you know, he didn't, he just put it in a, you know, on a shelf for a while 
and then one day he just kind of posted it and it just kind of took a life of its own. I mean, that was early YouTube, but even like at this point, a lot of the content um, that people made or videos, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, just enjoying the, you know, making something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think the angry video game nerd when he started making videos thought it would spiral into a career. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's even just for the appreciation of it to make something and then to have people react to it and get to have that, that feedback system. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, once again, especially in the film industry that I came from, people would spend, they would labor, they would work super hard on these indie movies that they would make these feature length indies. And then at the end of the day, for this feature-length film that probably incorporated the works of 40 people, you know, actors, uh, tons of money, often uh, only maybe like 100 people would see the movie. Like, yeah. And that's like good if like maybe it wouldn't even make it to theaters. Maybe just like friends and family would see it because it was shit. And honestly, all that effort was wasted. So to be able to, to make something and then have that feedback uh and have people uh, look at it and respond to it right away uh made it a lot more fulfilling than pursuing those traditional means of recognition i guess yeah i mean putting those film uh, those videos up was like a private screening almost oh yeah absolutely and then you get people tell you right away hey this thing was really cool i like this or this thing sucked or you know you'd see how many views you got and uh it kind of uh, gave you a level of feedback you'd never, a level of honest feedback you'd never be able to achieve uh, normally creating something. So that, that, I mean, that was kind of slowly the death knell for me in the film industry because cause one was just, it just cut out a middleman right away. And and the thing is too, is that um, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, how even like when you do something like that, when you make those let's plays, even had just had a little bit of like production that you've have experience in is like, Whoa, what is that? You know, because usually when you're in the film industry, um, a lot of that stuff, um, is, is a big secret, a lot of it. And to see someone do that on a forum, it must've been like, uh, it must've been interesting to apply your skills that you learn in film industry and apply it to something that you, you like and enjoy to an audience. that's not, a film crit, you know, doesn't break down and analyze the thing you create because they're in the same field as you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, it was, it was a completely new thing. I'm, I'd like to pretend that my let's plays back then made a big splash, but I think that they were, they mostly <laughs> were like a drop in the can and, and forgotten pretty quickly. I wasn't like a super popular or even a popular user of that form in terms of outputting stuff. I wasn't consistent enough. Um, uh, at doing it, but it was it was fun just kind of getting to exercise those skills in a new way. And I I can't I can't remember how much editing I did, but I remember putting music in and speeding up some sections to make it go by faster and cutting stuff. But it wasn't you know once again it was super primitive. It's not like YouTube nowadays where uh, people are really good at editing for jokes and to make it funny. Um, I think that like that heavy entertainment aspect uh, was less important to early Let's Plays as, well, not the, not that the entertainment aspect wasn't important, but it had like an informative aspect as well. Like you are, you are playing the game and entertaining people, but also informing them about the game. 
to a certain degree. I'm sure that it still exists nowadays, but uh, that was that felt much heavier back then. So my the, the, it was it was pretty raw when it came to to getting <laughs> opportunities to use my editing skills uh, way back then. So uh, let's uh, let's move forward a little bit. So you had a little experience uploading videos. Let's go forward a little bit to uh, the year 2012. Um, let's talk about when you discovered Twitch. Um, just as a viewer, uh, how did you find Twitch or find out about it? Or wh what was it all like? What was the environment like? Uh, tell us what it was like in your first you know, couple of months of watching streams. Well, I'm sure it's like a, a tale as old as time, but like most people, I came to Twitch because of esports. Uh, I was really into watching StarCraft 1 and some StarCraft. StarCraft 2 is not as good as StarCraft 1, but StarCraft 1 was like a killer eSport. And even before Twitch, sometime around Justin TV, uh, the website GOM TV was streaming StarCraft on their website super late at night. And this, is, this was only in Korea. So it was a Korean broadcast with English commentators. Uh, and you'd have to watch it till like it would start at like 10 p.m. and go to like two or three in the morning. Uh, so it was super selective. So I, I started watching StarCraft and then eventually, obviously, there was StarCraft streams to watch on Twitch TV. There's people broadcasting it there. So I started watching StarCraft there. And then then my, then my interest in esports slowly fizzled out. I wasn't like I said, I wasn't into StarCraft 2. And StarCraft 2 kind of replaced the StarCraft 1 esports scene when it got released. So I I started watching just regular people streaming, not big esports tournaments, but just, you know, here's a guy and he's playing a game and he's got a webcam. Do you, do you remember any of the streamers? Oh, yeah. Well, the big the big one I always talk about is uh, Oddler, uh, the, the resident sleeper guy. I watched his stream a ton. Uh, he was... He played a lot of Resident Evil and survival horror games, something that obviously is still quite popular on Twitch TV to this day. Uh, and he would try to do 72-hour marathons on Twitch. He would try. He never succeeded, but he would try to do 72 hours of Resident Evil. There was something magical, especially late at night. Uh, late night, it always feels... It always feels kind of lonely late at night. Not that, not in a bad way, but kind of everything's kind of quiet and contemplative. And there was something cool about being able to turn on Twitch TV and like, hey, there's this person I can interact with who's also out there late in the night uh, just hanging out, doing things. And... It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like ships passing in the night type of thing. Like there's there's a strange camaraderie that you almost feel for people that are that are up super, super late. So I kind of started getting involved in just watching Twitch TV late, late, late at night and and hanging out in these communities. And it slowly grew from there. Yeah, I can totally understand that. It's like having a person in the room with you. Like if you're working on something late at night or you're doing a paper, it's kind of nice to have that extra voice in the room with you. Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't even working. I think at that point in my life, uh, <laughs> at that point in my life, I spent I spent a lot of I, I had a job where I would I, I had to get up really early in the morning and I had terrible sleeping like a terrible sleeping habits, the worst sleeping habits where I would get like two to three 
maybe four hours of sleep a night. So I used to spend a lot of time just laying in bed, browsing forums, which that was the hot thing still, browsing forums back then, watching and watching Twitch uh, on my laptop, just like sitting in my bed with my laptop watching Twitch. So it was just kind of cool to kind of like switch between uh, browsing the internet while just hanging out in bed and and watching stuff because i would i would spend like oh my god i would spend hours and hours even like whole days in bed sometimes it was i it, the internet was super addictive and amazing that kind of was your introduction you said you you know you went from esports and then you started watching you know people stream uh you know and you mentioned a couple name you know you mentioned the name uh so what kind of got you thinking, hey, I want to do this? Do you remember the year and like what you were thinking about when going into it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I looked at, I mean, streaming back then was really primitive and it was really just people with webcams and uh, games up, like maybe very primitive overlays. It was, mm -hmm. it was really, it was, it was really skeletal compared to now. Uh, and even like the best streamers, the people that actually succeeded on Twitch, uh, like Man versus Game, mm -hmm. are famous now because back then they were the only people that had even semi decent commentary. Like, right. Mo most people on Twitch TV back then, you just, there were long pauses with occasional comments. This idea of, you know, filling up the entire stream with speaking and insightful things to say. Uh, wasn't something that really existed at all, except outside of maybe like a few, like a handful of people back then. So uh, I just, I thought that I could do it. <laughs> that was, I had a lot of time on my hands. I was already spending a lot of time in bed, which, you know, maybe wasn't, I, I, I recognized even when I was doing it, like this isn't the best use of my time. I've got to put my energy into something else. I need to have some sort of outlet to do things and, so going from sitting in bed watching Twitch TV streams to sitting at a desk uh, streaming some games and trying it out wasn't a huge leap at that point. So you just kind of, you know, told yourself, well, this is kind of cool. I want to try it out. I got a background in, in production. I'm really into, uh, you know, making videos. So why not try streaming? Do you remember your first stream and do you remember like the equipment you used or what computer you had? Um, what was it like? Oh, it was very raw. Um, my first streams, I, I specifically streamed uh, really, really late at night because I didn't want anyone to see it really. I, I like the idea of it being hidden. Uh, I think back then I had it so my VODs weren't, wouldn't save at all or anything. I like the idea of it like the the flash in the night type of thing like you you see it and it's there and you experience it and it's gone i, li I like the the uh the temporary nature of twitch tv a whole ton so um i i started streaming super late at night um playing i can't remember my very my very first stream was playing jedi knight 2 uh i believe and i was playing on a power book uh no cam whatsoever i don't think i had a cam initially and just using my webcam mic i believe i think everyone did <laughs> it was really 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 raw uh because the power book the macintosh power book believe it or not is not a, a great streaming machine 
it's not it's not strong at all for streaming um <laughs> but i don't i think it was i did at least one stream without getting any viewers and then i think i had like one person pop in when i was playing jedi knight 2 and then eventually i switched to final fantasy 6 and i guess some people in the communities i was involved in found out i was streaming and they followed me so i started having more people kind of show up and hang out while i was uh while i was just kind of playing whatever games my macintosh could handle because i couldn't even play like binding of isaac on that macintosh and stream <laughs> at the same time it was i don't think i think n64 games and super nintendo games were pretty much what i was limited to for quite a while yeah, I mean, I was the same way. My, I had a crappy laptop, and that's all I could do when I first started streaming and I started playing those games. And uh, it's interesting because uh, you know you come a long way from uh, from that. So when did you start to like kind of uh, what like what was the evolution like uh, up until like for a couple of years? Did you constantly stream it, or was it like once in a while when you had the chance? When did you start finding yourself streaming more often? I don't think I missed too many weeks of streaming since I started in 2012. Uh, I was pretty consistent. Like maybe I'd only stream once a week or twice a week, but it wasn't there wasn't like a huge uh, blank uh, space in my in, in my timeline with streaming from there. And it was it was just kind of gradual. It's it's just like you you start figuring out like, hey, if I do this, maybe people will be more entertained. Maybe if I put you know this overlay up, more people will be attracted to the stream. Oh, if I pres if I put my webcam this way, uh, uh, because like because everything was so primitive. I I I remember I streamed sitting on my floor, just <laughs> sitting on my floor, um, playing games through i might even used did i use the dazzle as a capture card even i might have for a while was streaming like this like this 10 year old piece of technology um and it was it, it's it, it starts in small increments like you don't even really realize how many things you're doing and changing and updating um until you until you look back and think about it but i can't remember those early years like what my like making my first overlay or making my first graphics i can't really remember it at all just it kind of just all flowed together naturally like like you just you're streaming mm -hmm. and you get a small idea of how you can improve it one little thing that will make the stream a bit better and maybe maybe give you an edge maybe make make your stream more palatable to people or more interesting or more eye-catching so you do that one thing and then you do another thing and it just all slowly adds uh on top of each other yeah and i think uh everybody goes through that it's like the building blocks almost like oh i could use this or Oh, look, I can, you know, when, uh, you know, new follower or something was a hot thing, right? Or something with little letters um, that people do. I mean, I feel like everyone goes through those phases of trial and error and they try all these things and then they fi eventually find, you know, what fits them. Uh, and uh, when did you start to, to feel like, oh, this is kind of cool. We're getting, you know, I'm getting a, a couple, per you know, like a couple of chatters there and there. Um, when did you just start to feel like you could really do it as far as like uh keep streaming and it kept you motivated because i know a lot of people you know 
start streaming for like six months and then they did you know like oh well this is boring no one shows up what kept you going oh i mean maybe it was different back then like twitch tv felt a lot smaller but there wasn't like it there wasn't a period where i really uh, lost viewers or anything i i kind of had people chatting maybe from like my fifth stream because once once again i was involved in communities i was really really ha like a heavy twitch viewer before i became a streamer i was hanging out in a lot of chats chatting with other people and i think it's kind of natural when you're uh, just interacting with other people on twitch tv that when they find out you're a streamer and especially back then it was rarer it wasn't like nowadays where the ratio of streamer to viewer is more even where a lot of the viewers are streamers uh, most viewers were just viewers back then they didn't really dabble into streaming so uh when someone found out like hey this guy that's been hanging out in this community is also streaming you kind of had natural people that would just come and watch you when their main streamer wasn't on like oh blah 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 is not streaming I'm going to go watch uh, Washand instead and see what he's doing. Uh, so I kind of just uh, naturally benefited from being around on Twitch TV. And I always kind of had consistent people that would show up to my streams. Uh, and no matter what I was playing. Yeah, I definitely agree with the, the ratio growing, especially like, uh, you know, I, I call it commercial success for Twitch as far as getting their product in a public eye and, things are more um cost you know doesn't cost as much uh so you did it very naturally and i think a lot of people um sometimes forget what that's like to just be a viewer and then people happen to find you versus what you're you know kind of pointing at is you know the self-promotion fun <laughs> that some people do <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just a different environment nowadays coming up into streaming. I think there's, like, once again, back then, maybe maybe one or two people were doing it full-time. Maybe not even. Maybe not even Man vs. Game was streaming full-time yet. He was one of the, I think he was one of the first people that really, like, got to do it as his job off of donations. So this whole concept of... Uh, a, a production of streaming as a product was non-existent. It was just a bunch of hobbyists, just a bunch of enthusiasts who were like, who were, who were into what was happening. And, you know, like, like me, I was like, oh, hey, I can do this streaming thing. And then you just start dipping your toe into it and seeing what happens. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a different landscape. Uh, like you said, uh, I, I think you are right because, uh, you know, uh, even on the Twitch page, it was like, you know, man versus game rage quit his job to become a streamer. And that, that was the big partner thing. When did uh, partnerships actually start? Do you remember? Uh, they were around when I was on Twitch already because people were partnered uh, or people were pushing for partner. I guess I guess I guess that that monetary aspect was was in there from the beginning. But it was there's kind of like a weird. I mean, not that it doesn't still exist, but a weird anti-money like like you you have to be streaming for the love of it um first and foremost before you ever consider money i i remember uh with my donation button like i know i didn't put a donation button up until like several people begged me to put it up because it felt 
contrary to why I should be there on the platform. So um, partners were around and people did support them with money, but it's, I guess it was, there was like a, a different end mindset where you're not necessarily supporting someone's lifestyle, but kind of just recognizing them. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I like this guy or I like this girl. Let's, let's give him a bit of money and, you know, have a little badge next to my name to show that I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm really enthusiastic about this person. Right. Uh, I can, yeah. I mean, I didn't have my donation until a few people said something. It's weird at first getting that, like, don't give me money for something I'd love to do, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to think back now on how I felt about getting initial donations. I guess it's, I guess it's once again, because back then, no one thought about doing it full time. So nobody was relying on streaming or dreaming of using streaming as a future income at all. So it wasn't like, it's like you put the donation button up and it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. Like I'm getting, you know, oh, I got $5 or $2 or something, you know, I can't even remember if there were alerts. God, what did I have a I don't think I even had alerts back then. When did you start implementing like um you know, when alerts did come out and things like that? When did you start implementing like the little effects and animations and you started like really working on your stream or you started to you know, say to yourself, you know, I want to I'm devoting at least an hour to making these things so I can you know, put them on my stream. I guess oddly, I always thought about streaming as a production. Um, so it, it, I talked about being very gradual, but I always, I always thought about my stream as being like, like a show that I was putting on instead of just, instead of it being like me playing the game and people interact with me, I always thought about it being like something bigger than that, something that would impress people or people would be wowed by. So, um... I can't, once again, I can't remember when I started doing stuff. It was before I was partnered. So sometime in 2013 that I really started investing more time. Uh, and back then I had the concept for my stream that I think I was just on a spaceship. Like I was trapped on a spaceship. Not, not dissimilar to now uh, where there was, you know, there was Tofu Bot and it was like controlling the spaceship and i had like a puppet that was my um uh like an engineer or like a first mate on the on the spaceship and we were traveling through space playing video games and i i think i just i really drew, started drawing from like b television like uh, mystery mm -hmm. science theater 3000 or uh, all these kind of lower budget tv shows that you would see out there uh and and wanted to incorporate elements of of that kind of uh that that felt again once again that felt accessible to me i felt like i could do uh those style of graphics and put on that level of a production so that's what i was drawn towards what was possible uh so i started incorporating more and more elements of those into my stream to kind of make it seem like uh mystery science theater 3000 or you know what's funny is that I always thought about your stream, how I describe it as Pee Wee's Playhouse, almost, because there's different characters, um, it's colorful, uh, there's different unique animations. 
I think a lot of what you're describing, especially like the the uh, B show kind of low end budget looking thing, but it had like you know it has a cool uh, aesthetic to it. Um, that's like one of the ways I actually describe your stream is Beeway's Playhouse. It seems like almost with puppets and stuff like that. I think that's more than fair. Yeah. I mean, not the <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I think it's an honor to be compared to Pee Wee's Playhouse. So you've start, you kind of like um, gradually started adding more these elements. And was anyone else doing this kind of stuff that you that you were watching or on your radar at least? I don't. I actually don't think so. I was. My stream wasn't like. My biggest problem has always been consistency. I think if I was more consistent with the work that I did on the stream and the streams that I, I had, uh, um, maybe uh, it would have been more recognized at the time. But uh, I, I, I really, I don't think anyone was doing, like there's, there's videos on YouTube back in 2012, I think 2012, maybe 2013 with like, when I was doing like full bore stream production before I went full time or even before I got partnered, I think. And I don't, I, I, I could be wrong. Twitch TV wasn't massive back then, but there's definitely streamers I wasn't aware of. And that's like that element of like any like type of production, no matter how small you think it is, people are, are like wowed by it. Like if they have an intro video, um, if they do little things, animations, um, that was a big deal, wasn't it? Well, just, I think back then more than anything, I really wanted to have the idea. I, I was still trying to live out my, my film dreams. And suddenly I realized I have a stream, I have an audience. So I wanted to make stories. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have, um, uh, you know, the gaming content was there as the anchor. You know, people are going to come for the games, but around the games, hey, you've got, uh, you've got this ongoing story uh, about a guy and these characters. And you've got little updates that happen uh, during the stream that kind of uh, helps bring people into another world and and provides an element of escapism. And, and of course, obviously gives me a bit of an edge and something different over the, the other streamers on Twitch TV. So when did when did you um, end up getting a partner and what was that like um, getting partner? Was that something, was that a goal of yours or was that just something that just happened because you were having fun doing it? Uh, partner. Yeah, well, it was a goal. I think everyone, even back then, really dreamed of becoming partner. Uh, just like now, it's kind of getting recognition. There was no affiliate program back then. So if you wanted to have a sub button, you had to get partnered to get it. So I remember really driving for partnership. And the requirements were quite a bit harder back then. I think when I got partnered, you had to have 200 average viewers per stream. So it was it was a little... Once again, the viewer-streamer ratio was a bit different, so it might have been not much harder or maybe easier than it is now. I'm not quite sure. Less competition. But uh, I, remember, I remember really pushing for it just because that's... I mean, that's... That's the goal that everybody goes for. That's the big when you're when you're first streaming. That's the that's the thing that they put in front of you, and even to an extent now, because I think affiliate is pretty easy to reach for most people, uh, but partner is still quite a difficult thing to push for. Uh, to the point where I think <laughs> at the time I called it post partner depression because 
people would get partnered on Twitch TV, they'd push for this big goal, this huge thing, and they would get it. And uh, you'd get like people coming in and subbing, uh, you know, to celebrate. Like back then, maybe it's, I don't know if it's still like this nowadays because there's so many streamers, but back then, someone getting partnered felt like a big event. Like this, per this community person got partnered. Holy, oh my God, that's crazy. And you'd go in there and everyone would sub to them and it would be like a big celebration. Uh, hey, you're partnered now. You're now part of this club, this exclusive club on Twitch TV. And uh, afterwards, then everything would go back to normal. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't always really like the, the, the big thing it was made up to be, I guess. Yeah, a lot of people, like, have this weird perception that, like, uh, being partner is going to change your stream and take you to the moon, I feel like, sometimes. Where it's really, you just, if you're always consistent, it, you know, you should always be consistent, even if you have a badge or not, almost. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't burn yourself out trying to push towards that goal. Like, once you get it, suddenly you're on easy street. And I, I still see that uh, the attitude out there, like like, people that are very bitter and angry and talking kind of kind of referencing being a partner like oh once you're a partner everything gets easier on twitch tv it's easy for partners uh but the truth is twitch tv is the <laughs> the challenges of being a streamer stay consistent whether you're a partner or you're not yeah absolutely and um so we're going to move forward a little bit and I want to, I'm going to read this Reddit post real quick. Um, and I want you to see if this triggers anything for you. <clears throat> hey, I'm Washand. I already know a few streamers hanging around here. So I decided to throw down and introduce myself to this fine community. You post your channel, your schedule, games and goal. I've been streaming for over a year and a half now. I mostly stream blind games of single player games. But I do enjoy replaying the occasional favorites of mine or multiplayer games. I even tried Minecraft once. Does this ring a bell to you? Uh, yeah, I think. But when was that? Was that before I got partnered? Six years ago. Six years ago. Might have been. Wow. Oh, here's the big one. On weekends, I'll often attempt 12-hour marathons while sitting on a cruel, unyielding wooden chair. Oh, Yes, yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier that when I first started streaming, I would my main my I would stream on the floor for a while, uh, and then eventually I had a kitchen chair. I didn't have a proper office chair. Even I just had a kitchen chair, like a wooden one that I would sit and stream on. And then eventually, <laughs> oh God, eventually I had a thing called the Charathon of Hope. I I streamed with the idea of getting. Well, what seemed like an amazing, incredible chair at the time, the the DX Racer, $500, like this chair that everyone says is God tier, that you sit in it and you instantly feel relaxed, which, um, well, you know, I did the chair -a of hope. People donated. I got the chair. Uh, frankly, I didn't like it that much, but since people donated so much money, <laughs> I God. felt bad. So I was always like, oh, yeah, this chair is really good, guys. Slot, it says, I also have slot, I have slot machine in my chat. Type exclamation mark spin. Now, was so like, when did like the bots and stuff come into play? Um, was that something pretty new, the slot machine thing at the time? 
That was, yeah, I think, okay, once again, don't take this as gospel, but I don't think anyone had a slot machine before me in their chat. I don't think it was a thing. Um, slot machine bots, like the ones we have nowadays where they're just mm -hmm. automatically programmed in, didn't really exist at the time. There might have been some other slot machine bots. I don't know. The The person who made it for me was, uh, his name's Jimmove, and uh, he created TofuBot and named it which eventually became a major branding point of my stream, all just, all just based off this bot that he created. And uh, he programmed all the, the, the spinning and gambling into it. And at the time, that was, you know, that was a new thing. That was like, whoa, you can, you can type in a command and the, the bot does weird, crazy things. Like nobody had that or it didn't really exist on that level uh at all i think at that time most people were still custom programming bots mm -hmm. uh, they weren't really you know like moobot or onkbot or i don't know what the, the bot names now <laughs> all, all the bots i know are the old ones that nobody uses so that was that was like a feature that's like hey this is this is i mean that's probably why i put it in the post like hey this is something you're not gonna see anywhere else you mm -hmm. can gamble in the chat yeah was that important to you, having something that nobody else was doing? Oh, it's still important. Absolutely. Right. I like to feel like I'm, I think this is like an ego thing a little bit, but I really like to feel like I'm doing something completely different and separate from other people. Like that I'm, I'm putting out something unique to a certain degree, that I'm, that I'm offering something that, that maybe nobody else can offer. Um, I think that's also part of my, I feel competitive that way too. Like I really feel driven towards doing it, but there's a certain, I guess, oppositional nature that I have within me where, uh, there's a certain oppositional nature within me. And when I, when I see s people doing one thing and succeeding, I almost want to do the opposite and try to succeed with it. And it's just, um... So I've, I've always highly, like, I've always been really driven towards trying to find the things that people don't do, or even the, the opposite thing, like something that someone would consider wrong, like, don't do this on your stream, this is a bad idea, and then finding a way to twist it and make it uh, work. So having, back then, having something unique like a bot or having um at the time having like puppets and movies and intros and a storyline uh was something i was very proud of because that wasn't something that really anyone offered on twitch tv and it's still it's still pretty rare nowadays i guess it's, it's too much that re the reason why it's not so much around anymore the puppets and stuff is because it's also so much production work hours and hours and hours and hours of work for like 30 seconds of footage and it's just, it's not worth it. But, you know, at the time I was kind of just exploring avenues and seeing what was possible and what I could do. I you know, I had no idea that I'd have to put that much work in to make it happen. So I persevered for a while down that avenue. Yeah. And that shows, especially today, like your stream is always evolving. Um, you change things a lot, not in a bad way either. It's always being updated. Like you said, it's like a um, you're always changing things up and you're always exploring different avenues. So, and you have to remember too, guys, that this isn't the Wishan that you see today. Can you describe the uh, the announcer? <laughs> I call it the announcer voice of Wishan. 
What's going on, guys? We're <laughs> welcome to. <laughs> we're talking. We're, once again, we're talking early days. So that was that was the like. Now it's almost like a parody on YouTube. The loud voice. Like the more you can react, the more bombastic you are, and all over the place, and and move. You know, uh, overreacting to things and being loud. That that somehow um back then and especially in my mind equaled excitement like oh my god people have to be excited and engaged and to show to get people excited and engaged i have to show them that i'm excited and engaged in my content and the way to do that is to be as explosively over the top uh as possible or loud or, or whatever and um yeah, that was that. That's most of the stream, honestly. Most of the almost eight years I've spent on Twitch TV would be. Uh, I was that as a streamer. I'm not. I wasn't more subdued, which honestly I find more natural. Uh, but I wasn't more subdued. I was definitely uh, trying to trying to go the other way, which which just it takes too much effort it takes too much energy and it kills you like streaming is a marathon and if you approach it where you're like trying to make people laugh and trying to make people um by just being way over the top it's it, well first of all it's not i i fundamentally don't think it's like a good way to go on streaming but also it's just it's exhausting it burns you out really quickly yeah, and sometimes people can see through the over-the-topness, you know, especially uh, when they watch you. Your audience knows you so well, and it's like if you over-exaggerate yourself, you're kind of not, like, being yourself. I, I think that makes sense, right? Oh, no, for sure. Um, I think that's a huge a huge important part of, of streaming is being genuine, and it's really hard when you're streaming all the time to to keep things genuine while still keeping them entertaining because there's days when you're tired, there's days when you're burned out and there's days when you're not feeling it, but you have to stream anyways. And that's when the facade starts happening. That's when you start pretending you start trying to feel and imitate the way that you are when you have a really good day, when you're interested in what you're doing and when you're engaged in your content and it's, it can be really dangerous uh, because uh, eventually you can start streaming and be so caught up into it. You're not sure what is genuine and what is a facade, what people are coming to the channel for, uh, in the first place, what, what, what is, what is the element of you that people like and is real and what is you trying to imitate that element of being real? So I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, it, it can get, it can kind of start warping your mind when you try to figure out how you're supposed to act and present yourself on stream um based you know basing it off of of a feeling or an idea of of how what a good stream is no that that totally makes sense um i mean i went through that where it, i call it an identity crisis when you're not sure what um what your stream should be like or how you should be and that can take months for people it could take years um a good example of that is like you know like a professional wrestler like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are very popular, right? They are themselves, but they're turned up to like 200. They kind of amplify themselves, but they're still their selves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's finding that one, 
uh, that one genuine element to hold on to and and focus on. So even when you're having a bad day, even when you feel off and tired, you don't have to put on an affectation or pretend to try and entertain people or or try to or try to trick people, I guess, into thinking that you are just as into the stream today as you were, say, last Tuesday when you had the best stream ever. You were making amazing jokes and you were really interested in the game and everybody else was really interested in what you were doing. Um, you don't have to fake that as much to try and get back and recapture, you know, the, yeah, the really good stream that you had on a day when uh, things aren't lining up quite as well. Yeah. And I notice you do that. You take temperatures almost with your chat. Um, you, you know, like when you're playing a game, hey, guys, how are you feeling about this? You know. Uh, you give you often ask people's opinions, whether it's the bathroom reviews <laughs> or whether it's, um, you know, uh, what, you know, what would you guys do? Um, I think that's extremely important. And, you know, I don't see a lot of people doing that. I think chat interaction is the most important metric on Twitch TV. I know people look at viewer counts and sub counts and uh, other numbers. But I think chat interaction is the most telling. It, it shows you whether people are engaging with your content, whether they want to participate, and um, whether they care to a, to a large degree. You know, the more dead a chat is, the more it tells you that people are checking out and maybe they're they're watching something else or maybe they have you on more in the background. And that's... Like, especially when you start thinking professionally about streaming, that's not really a place you want people to be in with your channel. And um, I often ask people, you know, are you enjoying the game? I'll do little checks, but for the most part, usually I have a strong idea. I, I've, I, get, I just get like a gut feeling or like a nervousness when chat starts to slow down. And I just, I think I've just been doing it long enough that I can tell when people are engaged with what I'm doing, if they're, if they're talking about the game that I'm playing, if they're asking questions, or if the conversation is completely irrelevant to anything that's happening on the stream, it's, um, you, you can kind of tell from things like that whether people are interested in what you're doing or if they're slowly checking out. And it's important as a streamer to be flexible enough to, well, I mean, luckily, as a variety caster, I switch games like a million times a stream, but it's 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 important to like recognize those things and then reel it back in and maybe not everyone can switch games five times a stream but if you have a stream and you play one game and your chat is especially dead or people don't seem particularly interested in the game you're playing that is just take it as a sign and and move on to a different game switch it up uh, I think I've seen too many streamers that try to kind of stubbornly go forward with an idea or go forward with uh, uh, something that isn't working with their audience. Uh, and I've definitely been guilty of it. And uh, in the end, you just wind up slowly losing viewers because you're not going to hear the negative people. You're not going to hear people that are like, hey, this sucks. I'm leaving because most people are polite. Uh, you're going to hear people going like, no, I love the content. You're doing great. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I love to watch, but, um, uh, you gotta read between the lines a little bit. And, uh, you talked about like doing different things and, and losing viewers. Um, 
one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because it was actually kind of a um, uh, uh, inspiration for this podcast was beyond the broadcast. Do you remember when you had the idea for it? Well, I I can't remember the, spe- the specific time I had the idea for it, but at, at that point in my stream, I really had this idea of segmenting it into different shows. Like my stream would be a TV channel and you would flick onto it and there would be, you know, uh, retro races this day or a challenge program this day or a stream dedicated to... Uh, RPG games or whatever. So really just like chunking off the time into very specific segments uh, for what with the type of content that you would find on TV. And beyond the broadcast kind of arose out of that because, uh, hey, there's streamers out there. Uh, I can do interviews. And this idea of having streamers on for... I think initially for two hours, for the first hour, they would play their favorite game from childhood and talk about kind of where they came from. And the second hour of the program, they would play their favorite game now and talk about, we talk about streaming now and streaming life uh, currently for them. So it just felt like uh, a cool format and a cool venue to get to meet other streamers and talk to them and interact with them and hopefully get a side of them that their viewers uh, didn't get to see very often while also making it fun for them as well. You know, playing some of their favorite games I thought was kind of a, an easy sell to get people on the program. Yeah. And um, how did it feel like interviewing and learning about the streamers and how did your uh, audience react to it? Oh, uh, I felt really stressed out. I can't believe I... I must have been more confident back then than I am now. Because the idea of messaging people and asking them to be on my show seems so stressful. And the idea of having a fixed format show where you just talk to someone who maybe you've never talked to them, like, like this today almost, like you've never talked to them outside of them being in your chat or maybe you've maybe maybe you've had like a five minute conversation with them but suddenly you're sitting together and talking for an hour two hours and having to make it work uh especially when uh, maybe you're not at your best every single day um it was it was super stressful that was that's probably the time in my stream where i had the most stress i i would have like regular stomach pains like i would just I was like carrying all this anxiety and stress around with me, but uh, the the show itself, like it really, despite all that stress and anxiety, it really got gave me a chance to meet and get to know some of the people I feel to this day closest to on Twitch TV, and I really miss that part of it because talking to other streamers isn't something that happens a whole ton. So making it like an an actual set time where we have to talk to each other and it's this program really gave us a chance to get to know each other. And oddly, I mean, it oddly worked very well as a networking tool because there's all these people and now we have a rapport with each other. Now we, we know things about each other uh, that wouldn't have happened more naturally. So this unnatural 
live broadcast interview show over an hour or two hours really gave me a chance to to meet people and even though i couldn't do it now i don't feel like i'm in enough twitch chats or uh you know maybe maybe it's it's different but back then it was uh i'm really happy i went for it uh but audience wise the other side of it viewer wise uh the the viewing numbers for that show varied greatly uh depending on who the guest was with heights of maybe like 300 viewers for some of the bigger guests to maybe averaging like 20 viewers for some oh, of wow. the smaller guests so it wasn't it w i would say on average the show maybe had 50 viewers like it's it wow. was it sadly was uh, a bit of a failed experiment on twitch tv because long format interviews i think are very interesting to listen to uh like this you know like if you have you listen to the beginning and you have the whole audio file or you you have the whole thing and you can listen to it at your leisure but in a live format like twitch tv someone someone coming into the middle of a of an interview uh it can just be kind of you know they don't have context for the conversation and maybe they don't even know who the person I'm interviewing is. So suddenly the, a stream that's maybe more centered around me is centered around this other person who they don't know. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't care to know them for whatever reason. So it was very, very hard to sell that content. Uh, although I did, it for, I did it for a long time. I don't know how many episodes it had. It, oh, over 100, I believe. You did it for like a year, right? Uh, I did it for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I had a whole pretty. I had like uh, a video pro, like all the backgrounds, and uh, at the time too, I would like. I think this is easier to do, but at the time, you know, the the uh, the streamer would have their overlay set up specifically so it would wor work with my show. So they would. Uh, they would appear in video on the opposite side of me, so it would it was like we were actually talking. Yeah, uh, it, it's like uh, what was that program uh that you used? Uh, I forgot. It was like with conference calls. Uh, Zoom. Yeah. Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, I, lied. I didn't. I didn't make it to 100 episodes. I got to 89 episodes of Beyond the <laughs> Broadcast. Uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, I learned a lot actually watching back on it. And that's one of the reasons I didn't do video because of everything that could go wrong. <laughs> um, and audio, you can kind of like, it, like when you record something, you can take your time, you can edit it and you can kind of, you know, release it as, you know, you see fit versus like something you were doing. Uh, it was live. Um, you don't know what the other person was going to say and you don't know. And especially timing wise, who was going to watch it, what the viewership would be like. So, I can totally understand where that anxiety came from. Oh, absolutely. And I I'm not I'm not a great people person. Like talking to viewers in chat, it's kind of totally different than talking one-on-one -on -one with someone and maintaining a conversation. I'm sure you know from doing this program like finding the right questions to ask that lead to someone else giving an insightful answer or or giving you know, giving you something that uh, 
that is colorful and interesting and engaging uh, can be difficult because, you know, they're just uh, obviously I can't remember what guests I wouldn't name names anyways, but there'd be times where I'd invite someone on the show. They're perfectly nice people. But, you know, I'd ask them a question and it would be like one sentence answers for two hours straight. And it's really hard to do an interview for two hours when someone is just giving you almost nothing back. So, yeah, yeah, that's that was the stressful part of it. (laughs) That was like sometimes it was easy. You'd, You'd ask a question and someone would talk for hours and hours and hours about one subject and have these colorful anecdotes and things that happened to them. And uh, it was the best interview ever. And then other times it's just like, there's like a palpable awkwardness where you're aware that you're not engaging with this other person and you know the audience is aware. It becomes kind of like a desperate scramble to try and save things or make them work. And it's not going to happen. You just have to find a way to make the the time as interesting as possible. Yeah. And I think one of the um things that I think you should look back at too is that, you know, it was kind of like time capsules for all these streamers at that time and it kind of gave a snapshot of what it was like streaming during that time. And um one of the things uh that a lot of people, you know, uh look back at it uh like I said it's like a snapshot. And uh, one of the things that um, is great about it is that it can highlight who somebody was. Um, one of the examples, I, I hate talking about like a, a dark, uh, sad subject, but um, there was a streamer, Australian streamer named Wadi. He, um, he passed away. And um, one of the th- things that popped up when he passed away was that you, the, uh, you still had his episode archived on Beyond the Broadcast. Um, how does that make you feel that people were just... After that happened, people were, you know, looking back at it and who he was as a person. Honestly, it makes it all feel worth it. It makes all the the stress and the effort that went into the program. And even though there was never a big payoff for it, there was it was never something that um, was successful. It feels like there was a, a reason for doing it that uh, especially someone who who passed on and isn't with us. Uh, and even the people that are no longer streaming or are no longer involved in communities that I got a chance to talk to, um, it is because I never thought about it that way at the time. I never made these things with the idea that, you know, people would be able would look back on them and suddenly get to explore a part of Twitch TV or a time on the website uh, or someone, you know, who who is no longer with us. Um, at the time, I really just saw it as a way to talk to and put a spotlight on streamers. I, I usually tried to invite people that were, were, you know, I didn't invite big guests on the show. Usually I usually invited, uh, streamers that were around my size or smaller. And I just really wanted a a chance to show off other people's communities and their personalities and and spend time with people that I liked, people that I admired on Twitch TV. So um, it really, uh, it's really, I guess it's just, it's really, it's really cool to me that, um, especially, especially for Wadi, who is gone and he wasn't the biggest streamer and 
and in a way, there's only like little scraps and pieces uh, left of him on the internet. There wasn't a huge wealth of content, despite the the impact that he left on people. Um, so it was, it was. Um, I felt honored, I guess, to be in a position where I had done this interview with him and I talked to him uh, very candidly about a lot of things. And uh, people were able to use that to connect to him again. Yeah, and for anyone who who don't know what we're talking about, uh, go on Chance Channel, you can find Beyond the Broadcast, and you will see uh, Wadi. He was a, a character. He... One of my uh, biggest uh, fond memories with him was when he did the Bashi run and he was playing that and playing it and he was pushing for partner, all this stuff. I followed him for a while. I think he was doing a Pokemon stream when I first followed him. Um, and uh, he was a good dude, man. Um, I didn't really talk to him too much, but I would always lurk in this chat. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you felt that, you know, doing that program and it did, it did help people. And uh, speaking of spotlighting uh, people, you did another thing, and I always said if I ever had a one-on-one conversation with Shan, we would talk about this. Tofushi's Castle. Talk to me about that. What is Tofushi's Castle, and um, how come it's no longer with us? Oh, Tofushi's Castle. So once again, this is back in the time where I thought of my stream as a TV station with all these different programs that, uh, you know, this wide, like, really huge variety of content like huge production values and Tofushi's castle was a retro a mystery retro race that anybody could enter uh, on a weekly basis so we'd usually have maybe like around 10 racers 7 to 10 racers it wasn't huge because you had to you'd use zoom once again you'd have you had to use <laughs> zoom and set it up and you had to be ready to like like it'd be like today is super nintendo games so i would i would send people super nintendo games you mailed it to them you mailed them carts <laughs> i mailed them i mailed them the the physical games and they would they would open them up and it would be a mystery and they would have to race these games that maybe they'd never played before and often hadn't uh live on the stream and there's like a there's brackets and multiple rounds so you know the the first race People would have to get to a certain checkpoint the fastest, like this part in the game. Uh, and then the next one, maybe the next bracket, when it cut down to just four people left, they would have to get to, you know, whoever got the furthest or, or whatever, uh, whoever got the most points or something. Uh, so uh, it, it was it was a huge production, you know, finding the games each week and organizing the racers and... Uh, uh, it was it was so much fun though because just like beyond the broadcast, we got to see uh, the personalities not of streamers in this case, uh, although some of them would go on to become streamers, uh, but just regular people that wanted to race retro games because they would you know you, people would often have a webcam up. It wouldn't just be their game; it'd be like their webcam and the gameplay of them racing. And I would do like little interviews, like if they were eliminated. I'd be. I'd give them like a sentence or two, or, or maybe like a, a sentence or two to introdu uh, introduce themselves before the race. So you got kind of like little snippets of people and regulars that would be there for every single race, or, or people that would go on winning streaks. 
winning uh arrow fodder was one was uh, famous for like winning 11 times in a row uh in one of the older formats he he won like so many times and and the show the show went on once again for at least as long as beyond the broadcast i think maybe even a bit longer like two years or something so it wasn't a small chunk of time uh but it's kind of the same thing the same thing that happened to beyond the broadcast happened to tofushi's castle where uh a lot of time and energy went into producing the show each week and making it happen and it was high concept the you know uh a lot of energy went into making it as entertaining as possible and as quick and uh but it's it's just a hard sell it's a it's a hard sell to have people pop into the middle of a race for a game they don't recognize and for a game that honestly uh usually i didn't know too much about so so it would just it was kind of just like a wild thing that was a lot of work and a fair amount of stress on my part, but didn't amount to viewers. It was like a, it was a type of thing where you would, I would lose viewers um, once the show started or, or it would be, you know, we'd average around 50 viewers again, which was less than my, my normal amount. So uh, I was putting in a lot of work to something that was, potentially hurting my stream even though it was so cool and you know to this day something that ended you know two or three years ago now because beyond the broadcast looks like beyond the broadcast ended in june of 2017 so tofushi's castle must have ended you know before 2018 probably or maybe just right around 2018 so it's it's amazing to me now that the people that loved it, the people that loved Beyond the Broadcast and loved Tofushi's Castle, still really remember it fondly, even though, sadly, on average, it wasn't something that most people wanted. Yeah, and um, people have to remember, too, this is when the retrosection was brand new. Uh, there wasn't a ton of viewers like there is now. I think it was maybe 800 on a good night uh, in 2017. And now it's grown to 3,000, I think, even. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, with Tafushi's Castle, you know, it seemed like it was a lot of work. And just like beyond the broadcast, um, you know, the viewership wasn't that great. But I'm going to say this to you right now. If there's ever a time where you want to do a Tafushi's Castle one night only, I will I will gladly help you if you ever want to do it <laughs> with anything. Because I love that. And I feel like, especially now, I feel like it could be successful, um, especially with a, the retro section and the viewers there would, I think they would enjoy it. Um, there was another game show somewhere like Nick Arcade, uh, Arcade Pit was another one. They started doing something like that. And I feel like just the timing wasn't right for Tefushi. Um, It was so ahead. It, it might have been true. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I really did put a lot of work into trying to make it entertaining, and it, it really was drawing on a lot of, once again, a lot of actual TV shows from my childhood. I remember, uh, what's it called? Video and Arcade Top 10. We had it here in Canada, and it was this like, really crappy show where they'd have kids on playing like N64 games and then give them like terrible prizes. Like, first place, you win a backpack or a copy. <laughs> you know. It was... 
it was stupid, but um, like I think that nostalgia is there. That people, ha- a lot of people have fond memories of watching shows like that as a kid, getting to see people play games that they couldn't possibly buy themselves, or or games that they suddenly wanted to buy because they saw the people playing them. And I really, I really wanted to provide something that kind of had that level of of nostalgia to it, and and kind of brought people back to those days. Um, so who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe Twitch TV is is ready for Tufushi's castle again. Well, I'm just offering it. If you ever need help with it or with the challenges or whatever, um, I I definitely would be more than happy to to assist or any way possible because um, I I think a lot of people remember and enjoyed it, and I think there's a you know a, a niche for it especially. Um, but besides reviving some of your old shows, uh, not only was this something that you did to put spotlight on people, um, I noticed especially you, um, help a lot of streamers. Um, and you can tell just by like when people rage you or host you, it uh, doesn't matter what the size is, you welcome everybody in. So let's talk about a little bit about, uh, about the team sandwich as you call it. Um, where does all this come from, from supporting every single size stream? And um, is it because you worked in film and you saw how people struggle to make their own production? Is that kind of like um, a piece of it? I'm not sure, actually. It's um, maybe, maybe I still, maybe I still identify myself as being not established as a streamer. So the people I identify most with are people that are still establishing themselves. They're still figuring out uh, Twitch TV that don't really have things set in stone. I think to a certain degree, that's also the people I feel most comfortable with. Uh, people that people that seem to have their stuff together or seem to know what they're doing. I, sometimes I feel a little bit out of place talking to them. Like, uh, like they're going to expose me and uh, they're going to realize that I don't have a clue what I'm doing. So... I think starting a Twitch team, uh, Team Sandwich, which I started um, maybe a year ago, two years ago. I think it's been around for longer, maybe two years ago now. Uh, I really started it just as uh, a place because there was so many people in the community. Like now Twitch TV, everybody who's a viewer is also a streamer. So, so many of my viewers were streamers that had their own little channels. And I'd go into these little channels uh, to watch uh, to watch one of my viewers playing games, and there would be other viewers that I recognized there, other people from my channel in that channel, uh, and it was something that happened over and over again. And it reminded me again of my beginnings on Twitch TV, uh, where I would I started streaming, and the channels that I visited had people. Uh, come in to my stream to watch me so i think i really wanted to pull that whole element together and say like hey if you like watching people from the community here's a team that is just people in general in my community or or people loosely attached to my stream that maybe you recognize or maybe you don't recognize and want to meet and 
uh, kind of just providing a, a casual setting to facilitate that and make it easier uh, in the form of a Twitch team. Because the Twitch teams are, you know, they're not exactly the most effective tool for anything, but uh, just p putting a name on something, being able to say like, hey, I'm Team Shandwich, and I share this association with these other people, and our communities are kind of interconnected. And if you pop into one of the Team Shandwich streams, there's a good chance that you're going to recognize some other people in the chat already. And it's going to feel a little bit closer to being like home than if you go into a stream and you don't recognize anybody at all there. Yeah, and I think that's such a great concept uh, to have that little network um, of other people because you're kind of like the connecting piece almost. You know, when someone sees one of your tofu emotes or they see someone from your channel come to theirs, um, it's kind of like that concept of early Twitch almost. Yeah, it makes it feel simpler. I guess Twitch Twitch TV nowadays feels uh feels like there's a lot of pressure on people. Like there's a lot of it's it feels very intense. Like everyone is really really desperate to make it as a streamer. Everyone is really and not that I'm not guilty of this. Not that I'm don't 100% this doesn't 100% apply to me, but everybody really wants to make their impact on the platform and matter. And now that there's so many voices and so many people yelling out, it's easier and easier to get lost in in kind of this this shouting match with a million other people out there to get heard. So it's it's kind of nice just to to feel like things are a bit simpler. Like I don't know, just just like. Like, like there's there's something holding a bunch of streams together rather than just a, a, a random cacophony and a bunch of people all out on on their own out there uh, trying to make it. If maybe there's something connecting some of us together, and uh, yeah, the the team just puts a little stamp on that. Yeah, and you talked about how, how it can be a little intimidating talking with you know uh, or talking with like you know established streamers. I know like. Uh, Maybe you remember this. You probably don't. Uh, when I first started watching your stream, I was so impressed by your channel. And I didn't know how else to really uh, express that to you. Because I was like, man, this is really, really cool. So, like, I, I didn't know how to, you know, DM you or anything like that. Uh, so I sent you an email. Uh, and I was like, hey, just wanted to let you know you're, you're doing great and all this stuff. And... Because in my mind, I was like, you know, I feel like sometimes streamers work very hard and they try to create something and they try to move things forward. But sometimes it's kind of nice to, to hear those, you know, in-depth like compliments and, and comments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even though streaming, I think, is a step up from, say, YouTube, where you make a video and then there's comments like you, you get more direct feedback and more direct interaction with people. I think there's still an isolating element and there's still uh there's still an element where like you know people say positive things to you, you know people like you and want to like you, but to a certain degree it's sometimes it feels like like I used to play in bands all the time and I would play a show and 
you'd get done the show and you'd come off the stage and be be like, people would shake your hand and they'd all be like, good show, good show, good show. You know, like everyone would say the same thing. It was like, it was comical because it would happen after every single show. And you know, they mean well and they like you and they want you to like them. But you don't know if they actually thought it was a good, if it was a good show or not, or if, uh, and it's the same thing with streaming. You know, people aren't going to tell you that your stream sucks usually or that they didn't like things. They're going to say like, hey, you did a good job. I'm recognizing that you did a good job and you put effort into this. So I'm going to tell you it's a good stream. Uh, so it's a little different, I guess, when someone sends you an email. It feels like it's breaking through that barrier a little bit more that that extra bit of effort was put in to say, hey, you're doing something cool and I like it. Uh, you know, so it, it stands out for sure. Right. And I wouldn't recommend sending Shan a bunch of emails. Um, but it was just like one of those things where, you know, I was like, I had to, to really tell him and express it to him because I, I, I work in the production field. I know the hours you put into everything you've done. Um, just looking at it. And, uh, another thing is too, is that, um, speaking of switching things up and trying different things, uh, how did you get into the games and demo section and you know, what was that like being in that realm? Were you always in games and demos or when did you discover that? Uh, well, I think it was slowly inevitable. I, I have, let's see, how can I talk about this? I get bored pretty easily. I, I have a really short attention span and I've, since I've been streaming, uh, begun streaming, I've played a lot of games. I've played so many more games than I ever played before I was streaming. Uh, I even, like, actually, when I got into streaming, I wasn't much of a gamer. Not, not that I hadn't played tons of games before then, but I was actually at a really low point in terms of how many games I played right before I started streaming. Maybe I was gaming, like, once a week or something. Uh, so now that I've begun streaming, I really... I guess I really have a drive now to seek out new things, things that are unknown or exciting or surprise me. And I find with big AAA games or a, a lot of video games, the expectation for what the game is is heavily established before you play it. Uh, unlike games and demos where you download a game made by one person or you know a small group of people, don't even watch a trailer and you have no idea what you're getting into and it's kind of like opening up a mystery box each time and you're not sure what you're going to find and that's so much more exciting than me to me than you know playing the new Assassin's Creed because I know what an Assassin's Creed game is the the ceiling on how an Assassin's Creed game can uh, uh surprise me is already set I already know uh, what it's going to do and what it's going to be about, but playing some random, often crappy indie game by some nobody, it's, it's, you just really have no idea what's going to happen. And I was just kind of more and more naturally attracted towards playing that. And eventually, I, I guess recently now, that's where most of my viewers are. Uh, I guess it slowly happened over time because I don't think there's many people in a position 
I mean, I mean, obviously there are lots of people, but not tons where you just play like random games that nobody knows of, uh, and you get viewers because most the more, the way you get viewers on Twitch TV usually is you play a game that people know, and then they click on your stream because they know the game, and then they watch you because they want to watch the game, but. You know, maybe they start watching you because they like you, but the game is the first thing that brings them there. Uh, so now that I'm doing games and demo streaming, it's kind of not the best way to build a viewership, but it's kind of it's kind of slowly started working, and I've become known for it. So I've just it's it's what I like, I guess. It's what makes me the happiest, and I think people see that that I react to it really well. They want to be a part of that too, and um, <laughs> and I don't have as much fun playing regular games, so I just slowly. I mean, not that I won't ever play regular games again, but um, I just it just slowly got phased out of my channel because oddly I was getting more viewers playing, you know, playing some game that nobody's heard of than playing bigger games out there. Yeah, and I can totally identify with that, especially. Um, I mean, I stream a lot in the retro section. And it's a lot of, like, the mystery of, like, okay, what's this game going to be like? How long will it take for him to beat it? And that's what I love about your channel is that you never know what you're going to get. And especially um, with your updates, especially adding characters and stuff like that, um, I feel like that's the draw is just the big mystery. And um, do you ever feel like you ever, like, entrapped yourself into doing something a certain way or you find yourself being able to be kind of flexible. Uh, is that why you segment your streams differently? Like, okay, today's horror games or today we're just going to do things out of the box. Um, uh, well now more than ever, I feel very flexible on Twitch TV. Uh, cause I, I don't actually segment my streams at all anymore. I don't even have horror days. It's just more like, Hey, I'm going to play some games that I think are cool today. They might be horror. They might be, like weird indie games. They might be something more regular, but I've uh, I've gone the complete opposite direction of my early stream ideas or my earlier stream ideas. Gone the complete opposite direction. Uh, you know, whereas before I had a very structured idea. I wanted to structure my stream into pieces. Um, I felt, I found that very constricting and very stressful for me to have to do something at this day at this time and provide this content uh now it's kind of like i just show up and i play whatever i feel like and if it's not working i just switch games i might play a game for five minutes and switch it i might wind up playing one game the whole night and i don't even know before i start the stream so i feel more flexible than ever in terms of the content I can provide. And if I wanted to do one night where it was Tofushi's Castle or one night where I had like a really weird idea for a program, um, I could do it. And I don't feel beholden to going back into a structured format at all. I don't feel like that would be a good move for me anymore. And the beautiful thing about games and demos is that you're often uh, supporting, you know, independent uh, gaming companies, uh, like a personal like a friend of mine, Tobor Prime made a game, Savage Shark to Gozen. And I know how many out he took six years of his life to go full time on the game. And, um, you know, he's actually won some awards for it now, but he, uh, he, it, it just, it's, I think every time you do that, you're kind of 
you know, paying back uh, to those developers by giving them a little bit of exposure, whether it's five minutes or an hour, you find something, you know, it, somewhere out there, I'm sure the, 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 you know, the dev for draft town is jumping up and down like, Oh my gosh, someone cares about my game. You know, <laughs> Well, that's really, I mean, I, I think even when I played games and I, I haven't necessarily vibed with the game or haven't wanted to continue streaming it, maybe it's not a good fit for Twitch TV. I've often had people say like, oh, I'm going to go check out this game on my own now. I got a little sneak preview of it, got a little taste of it, and it's something I'm into. Uh, but I definitely want to take that next step because obviously games and demos doesn't really provide a venue where developers can find out if I'm playing their games or if I played their games. So I really want to find a way to naturally take that next step and be able to connect more with developers and say like, Hey, this is, this is what I do. Um, and, uh, you know, give them a chance to see their game played. Uh, especially, uh, since a lot of them, once again, you know, they're, they're making video games on itch.io or something, and there isn't really that instantaneous feedback or or that chance to uh, to experience that for them as much. So um, as we're nearing time here, uh, and first of all, I think that's great that you're you're kind of checking out, you know, the little things and, and developers and, and games and stuff. And I think there should be more of that attitude um, because I think it's important. Uh, you know, a personal stream when playing with a personal game, I feel like that's that's just a great showcase. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, uh, we we talked about uh, Team Sandwich. Uh, do you have any uh possible tips or philosophies you like to share with somebody who's getting into streaming in 2020 now? Can you believe it? With OBS tutorials. <laughs> That we never had um, <laughs> um, before raid buttons and all that uh, or anything like that from your past to now. Do you have any like philosophies or anything you could share to somebody who's thinking about maybe streaming or maybe they're struggling They're a year in and they're like, oh, I don't know if I should do this or I'm not sure where to find myself. Um, do you have any uh, anything you could give them? to chew on oh god uh so much uh well first of all um this has been said a million times before but uh st stream for yourself stream to have fun first of all um to this day like i think it's more important for me to have fun on stream than my audience if i'm not having fun they're definitely not going to have fun it's important that i love what i'm doing and i'm with it and I think that's really important for every streamer. If you're streaming something and you hate it and you don't like it and you feel miserable, um, it's not worth it. You know, what's then then streaming just becomes any other job out there, pretty much. Uh, uh, so stream for yourself. Have fun with it. Don't ever go into streaming with the idea that it's going to be a career ahead of time. Don't go in with, like, as a businessman trying to make streaming a business, hopefully go into it because you're passionate about it, because you like playing video games and having people watch you and have this this weird format and interaction occur. Because uh, I've seen I've seen lots of people that went into it that they were going to go full time and make streaming a business. And, you know, the truth is, like, it just it doesn't happen 
it's harder for it to happen and um it it can it can take the the fun out of streaming it's very easy to become a full-time streamer and then just turn it into a full-time job which i feel very lucky not to have had not to have had happen to me yet also um god this is a weird one but um i think it's very important to think of streaming um not to think of yourself as the content generator in streaming i think there's this whole idea that like if you're the streamer you have to be really funny like you've to you've to be you you have to somehow generate the content but i think primarily as streamers we are like reactors we're 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 reacting to things happening we're reacting to the chat we're reacting to uh to the games we're playing we're not causing the reactions i think there's uh i thought about myself for a long time as causing the reaction i do something and then that causes people to do things but it's really the opposite it's more of a it's more of a take than a give when it comes to streaming and i think it's really important to 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 flip it on its head and think of yourself as as someone who's reacting to what other people are doing and to what's happening on screen rather than being the main driving force to uh, push reactions out of people cuz i thought of it the other way for the longest time and it's funny how quickly streaming on Twitch TV switches from an uphill battle where you're trying to push people and trying to push games into being funny into a downhill where you're just there to kind of have things bounce off of you instead. Yeah, and to kind of like uh to kind of emphasize on that, it's kind of like um everyone has a different flavor of reaction. There's the chill guy, there's the snarky guy, there's the hype man. There's all these different kind of flavors, and I think it's important to put yourself into it and not try to be a carbon copy of what you saw in a video or what you saw in an article. Um, it's all about you being yourself. If you make, you know, that's you. The stream is you. Anybody can watch a gameplay. Um, everybody can have the same personality as you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, me personally, I think very much of, like, the the comedy dynamic where you have, like, the the crazy guy but then you have the the straight man you know the guy who's supposed to be uh who's supposed to try and like who, who's supposed to like try and maintain normalcy who's the normal person so the uh, i've thought about myself more this way where i've got all these crazy alerts on my stream i'm playing these weird games and insane things are happening but I'm I think of myself now as kind of like the grounding element, the guy who's trying to keep the stream normal or trying to <laughs> trying to trying to keep things on course like all this weird stuff isn't happening and it's uh uh it feels it feels more natural once again like as a as a reaction as a as, when I'm reacting to things to to take on that role in the stream rather than being like a wild wacky person myself yeah definitely i see how you're kind of the grounder you know you have this the spaceman trying to board your ship you have the overseer you have all these elements and these characters that you create 
So, and I think the biggest part too, like it's a chat interaction, your chat causes a lot of this or they, you know, they are for these things happening. And sometimes they might even try to break your stream with certain alerts. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's, that's important too, is that you have that, um, that draw in that um, kind of almost a drama almost. And I think that's what makes people watch is they need something to kind of keep them from coming again. Oh yeah, the the streamer is always the familiar element. I mean, I think that's why programs like Tofushi's Castle and Beyond the Broadcast uh, also didn't work because uh, because people, to a large degree, and this this sounds egotistical, but um, but they come to see the streamer. They come to see me and interact with me. I'm I'm the the one central pillar, which everything kind of revolves around in terms of the broadcast. Um. So as soon as people can't identify with you or interact with you or find some common ground with you, it becomes a lot harder for you to share an experience with viewers. If, if things get too weird, if they get too wacky, if they get too incomprehensible, then people just find it off-putting rather than being able to find something that they connect with emotionally or something that... Um, um, you know, really something that really, uh, that Twitch TV really benefits from as a platform, which is the interactive element. They, they don't, they, they find a, they have a harder time interacting with it. Absolutely. And it's just, a, you have to find a, your own balance almost like you, you know, your audience the best and you know, then you kind of look at it as a whole. I think a lot of people need this too, is look at your VODs and look at you, how chat's reacting and then you kind of have to figure out what is working for you and what you're most comfortable with. Oh God. Yeah. Watch your VODs. <laughs> Watch your VODs. Holy crap. That's there we go. That's the, not even, that's just regular advice. Watch your VODs. You'll see so many things that are wrong. Anything that's bothers you or you hate about yourself, just, you know, just make little tweaks or, or, you know, the camera angles wrong and you look kind of stupid, move the camera or I don't know. Uh, if you chew your tongue when you concentrate on video games too hard, put a microphone in front of your mouth so no one ever sees your mouth again. And uh, that's what I did. Um, we're running out of time here because Shan's got a hot date. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would love to have you back on at some point if people feel like um, you know you have you have questions or more things to talk about. Um, while we're we're ending here, Shand. Um, I want to thank you for for being on and, and giving some of your input. Um, you're an inspiration to me as far as creativity, and I always point people towards you. I always say this, that um, if you're ever looking or you're stuck in a rut or you're not sure how far your stream can go, you can watch his channel because he's done so much and he, he puts a lot into his channel. And the one thing that I respect the most out of you is that some people have ideas, but there's people who take their ideas and apply them. Even if they only work for a day, or if they work for a month, a year, you're always applying them. And I think that's the biggest thing I like about you. Oh yeah, I think that's I think that's a beautiful thing about Twitch TV in general. It gives you a venue to try anything. And we already know what works on Twitch TV. We already know what the standard format of the successful streamer is. So try something weird and maybe it doesn't work i mean i like i said i tried whole shows for years that 
lost viewers just to see if eventually it would hook in and it it didn't but i learned lessons and was able to mold my broadcast into what it is now uh from those experiences so you you can learn a lot even if you fail so i think never be afraid to try something different because uh you know, you have one bad stream or one weird stream or a few weird streams for a week. Uh, people will come back and forgive you pretty quickly. Absolutely. And is there anything you would like to to plug? Uh, do you have any music? Do you have social media? Um, how can people find out when you're streaming, what you're doing, all that fun stuff? Oh, God. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Washand. W-S-H-A-N-D. Uh, I'm on there. Uh probably can find my twitter from there i also make some music i've got one song up on spotify uh under the name babe ruthless but there's also two other babe ruthlesses so just look for the one with the weird space helmet guy that would be the one that i'm under in all lower caps (laughs) (laughs) that's that's pretty much all i'm doing i pretty much make music and stream so those are my my two creative outlets spilling onto the internet yeah, I still miss a Twitter profile picture of you with a cigarette in your mouth. I mean, <laughs> one was pretty weird. <laughs> I got I, some weird comments off that one. I'm I'm sure games uh <laughs> game developers love it. Um <laughs> All right. Well, me and Shand, Shand and I are going to take off. Shand, thank you so much for doing this with me. Um would you ever want to come on for a second one if people want to hear from you again? Oh, absolutely. I hope hope I had some interesting things to say. And thanks so much for having me as well. It was uh it was fun to get to ramble about streaming, which is always my secret greatest joy that I don't get to indulge in often enough. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about too. Um so guys make sure you follow uh Wishand or for some reason I thought it was W Shand, but like you said, twitch.tv W S H A N D. He's on Twitch. Go follow him. Shan, thank you so much. And we will catch you guys the next time. Thank you for listening. And uh, make sure you listen to us on all of our uh, podcast platforms and follow us on our Twitter. All that good stuff. Thank you guys for listening. And we will hear from you or hear from us the next time.